everything you need to play in or run a basic D&D game. We hope you enjoy this newfound geek domain and keep roleplaying. You are always welcome at our game table. Wade and Shannon. Wade and Shannon, thank you. Dungeons and Dragons Basic Rules Version 1.0 Released November 2018 Introduction The Dungeons and Dragons role-playing game is about storytelling in worlds of swords and sorcery. It shares elements with childhood games of make-believe. Like those games, D&D is driven by imagination. It is about picturing the towering castle beneath the stormy night sky and imagining how a fantasy adventurer might react to the challenges that scene presents. Unlike a game of make-believe, D&D gives structure to the stories, a way of determining the consequences of the adventurer's actions. Players roll dice to resolve whether their attacks hit or miss, or whether their adventurers can scale a cliff, roll away from the strike of a magical lightning bolt, or pull off some other dangerous task. Anything is possible but the dice make some outcomes more probable than others. In the Dungeons & Dragons game, each player creates an adventurer, also called a character, and teams up with other adventurers played by friends. Working together, the group might explore a dark dungeon, a ruined city, a haunted castle, a lost temple deep in a jungle, or a lava-filled cavern beneath a mysterious mountain. The adventurers can solve puzzles, talk with other characters, battle fantastic monsters, and discover fabulous magic items and other treasures. One player, however, takes on the role of the Dungeon Master, the DM, the game's lead storyteller and referee. The DM creates adventures for the characters who navigate in hazards and decide what paths to explore. The DM might describe the entrance to Castle Ravenloft, and the players decide what they want their adventurers to do. Will they walk across the dangerously weathered drawbridge, tie themselves together with rope to minimize the chance that someone will fall if the drawbridge gives way, or cast a spell to carry them over the chasm? Then the DM determines the results of the adventurer's actions and narrates what they experience. Because the DM can improvise to react to anything the players attempt, D&D is infinitely flexible and each adventure can be exciting and unexpected. The game has no real end. When one story or quest wraps up, another one can begin, creating an ongoing story called a campaign. Many people who play the game keep their campaigns going for months or years meeting with their friends every week or so to pick up the story where they left off. The adventurers grow in might as the campaign continues. Each monster defeated, each adventure completed, and each treasure recovered not only adds to the continuing story, but also earns the adventurers new capabilities. This increase in power is reflected by an adventurer's level. There's no winning and losing in Dungeons & Dragons, at least not in the way those terms are usually understood. Together, the DM and the players create an exciting story of bold adventurers who confront deadly perils. Sometimes the adventurer might come to a grisly end, torn apart by ferocious monsters, or done in by a nefarious villain. Even so, the other adventurers can search for powerful magic to revive their fallen comrade or the player might choose to create a new character to carry on. The group might fail to complete an adventure successfully, but if everyone had a good time and created a memorable story, they all win. So you see folks, D&D is about having fun. Yes, there are gonna be rules and you have to do all this stuff into it, but hey, 
We're having fun with our friends, creating stories, and I think too often a lot of us forget that. But don't let me preach to you. I'm not preaching. I'm just here reading some rules, you know? I'm just a guy reading some shit for you. Sorry. Worlds of Adventure. The many worlds of the Dungeons & Dragons game are places of magic and monsters, of brave warriors, and spectacular adventures. They begin with a foundation of medieval presence, and then add to the creatures, places, and magic that makes these worlds unique. The worlds of the Dungeons & Dragons game exist within a vast cosmos called the multiverse, connected in strange and mysterious ways to one another and to other planes of existence, such as the elemental plane of fire and the infinite depth of the abyss. Within this multiverse are an endless variety of worlds. Many of them have been published as official settings for the D&D game. The Legends of the Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, Greyhawk, Dark Sun, Mistara, and Eberron settings are woven together in the fabric of the multiverse. Yo, if I'm mispronouncing anything, <laughs> cut me some slack. All right. I'm just, I know up to this point I've just been reading. Uh, I'm going to chime in every so often. I'm trying not to do it as much. I want to get through the rules, but like if I'm mispronouncing something, I'm just beginning, y'all. Like I said in the intro, so cut me some slack. I just know I am when I listen to podcasts sometimes, I try and extend the courtesy. Anyway, <clears throat> alongside these worlds are hundreds of thousands more created by generations of DE players for their own game. And amid all the richness of the multiverse, you might create a world of your own. All of these worlds share characteristics. But each world is set apart by its own history and cultures, distinctive monsters and races, fantastic geography, ancient dungeons, and scheming villains. Some races have unusual traits in different worlds. The halflings of the Dark Sun setting, for example, are jungle-dwelling cannibals, and the elves are desert nomads. Some worlds feature races unknown in other settings, such as Eberron's Warforged, soldiers created and imbued with life to fight in the last war. Some worlds are dominated by one great story, like the War of the Lance that plays a central role in the Dragonlance setting. But they're all D&D worlds, and you can use the rules in this book to create a character and play in any of them. Your DM might set the campaign on one of these worlds or on one that he or she created. Because there's so much diversity among the worlds of D&D, you should check with your DM about any house rules that will affect your play of the game. Ultimately. The Dungeon Master is the authority of the campaign and its setting, even if the setting is a published world. So which means, DMs, or people understanding, uh, if you have a DM who is just like, you know what, I kind of want to base this world, you know, and like the, based it in the world of Waterworld, like the Kevin Costner movie from the 90s, then guess what, Waterworld. And their rules apply in this version of their water world. You can't go back to the mythos of the water world and be like, look, at this exact point, at like an hour 15 and something seconds, Dennis Hopper didn't actually do this, so this shouldn't apply. I don't know if Dennis Hopper is actually on the screen at that point in time. He might be. If he is, that was unintentional. I don't know. But, you know, so it's their, their, their creation of it in this game. So you put a lot of trust, trust in your DM to give you a, 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 good, a good game. And... Yeah. Don't let us down, DMs. Don't let us down. And if you want, you can feel free to hop in my DMs. Anyway, <clears throat> using these rules, the D&D Basic Rules document has four main parts. 
Part 1 is about creating a character, providing the rules and guidance you need to make the character you'll play within the game. It includes information on the various races, classes, backgrounds, equipment, and other customization options that you can choose from. Many of the rules in Part 1 rely on material in Parts 2 and 3. Then why we create Anyway, Part 2 details the rules of how to play the game. Beyond the basics described in this introduction, that part covers the kinds of die rolls you make to determine success or failure at the task your character attempts and describes the three broad categories of activity in the game, exploration, interaction, and combat. Part 3 is all about magic. It covers the nature of magic in the worlds of D&D, the rules for spellcasting, and a selection of typical spells available to magic using characters and monsters in the game. That's right, baby. Even the monsters in this game use magic. You ain't even ready for that. Like Chris Angel said, are you ready? You ain't ready. Part 4 is especially for the Dungeon Master. It contains instructions for how to challenge the player characters with adversaries that are a good test of their abilities, plus dozens of ready-to-use monster descriptions. It also provides a sampling of magic items that the characters can earn as the rewards for vanquishing those monsters. The end of the document contains supplemental material. Appendix A collects all the definitions of conditions that can affect characters and monsters. Appendix B is a brief discussion of deities in the game, particularly those in the Forgotten Realms setting. Appendix C describes the five factions in the Forgotten Realms that characters can become associated with. Finally, a three-page character sheet provides a standardized way for players to record and keep track of their characters' abilities and possessions. And again, you can read along or look for yourself and find all this stuff at DungeonsAndDragons.com. They ain't paying me for this. This ain't sponsored. I'm really doing this for free. Just because I can. Because I want to. How to play. The play of the Dungeons & Dragons game unfolds according to the basic pattern. Ooh, the play. Like theater. 1. The DM describes the environment. The DM tells the players where their adventurers are and what's around them, presenting the basic scope of options that present themselves. How many doors lead out of a room, what's on the table, who's in the tavern, and so on. 2. The players describe what they want to do. Sometimes one player speaks for the whole party saying, we'll take the east door. Other times, different adventurers do different things. One adventurer might search a treasure chest while a second examines an esoteric symbol engraved on a wall and a third keeps watch for monsters. The players do not need to take turns, but the DM listens to every player and describes how to resolve these actions. Sometimes resolving a task is easy. If an adventurer wants to walk across a room and open a door, the DM might just say that the door opens and describes what lies beyond. But the door might be locked. The floor might hide a deadly trap. Or some other circumstance might make it challenging for an adventurer to complete a task. In these cases, the DM decides what happens, often relying on the roll of a die to determine the results of an action. 3. The DM narrates the results of the adventurer's actions. Describing the results often leads to another decision point which brings the flow of the game right back to step one. This pattern holds whether the adventurers are cautiously exploring a ruin, talking to a devious prince, or locked in a mortal combat against a mighty dragon. Mortal combat! 
I'll dance a little bit. In certain situations, particularly combat, the action is more structured and the players and DM do take turns choosing and resolving actions. But most of the time, play is fluid and flexible, adapting to the circumstances of the adventure. Often the action of an adventure takes place in the imagination of the players and DM relying on the DM's verbal descriptions to set the scene. Some DMs like to use music, art, or recorded sound effects to help set the mood, and many players and DMs alike adopt different voices for the various adventures, monsters, and other characters they play in the game. See, even as an actor, sometimes I just don't want to do voices all the time, which is lazy of me, but okay. Sometimes a DM might lay out a map and use tokens or miniature figures to represent each creature involved in the scene to help the players keep track of where everyone is. Now we get to what I probably have the biggest question on. The dice. Game dice. The game uses polyhedral dice, polyhedral, hedral, they use fucking dice, alright? With different numbers on the sides. You can find dice like these in game stores and in many bookstores. Luckily, shout out to Wade and Shannon. I have a whole little D&D setup. I got character sheets, I got dice, I got a little dice uh, container that I can collapse down and break. Y'all ain't even ready for it. Anyway, in these rules, the different dice are referred to by the letters D followed by the number of sides. D4, D6, D8, D10, D12, and D20. For instance, a D6 is a six-sided die. The typical cube that many games use. <laughs> you know, I'm more of a, of a D6 and a half, you know. Anyway, percentile dice, or D100, work a little differently. You generate a number between 1 and 100 by rolling two different 10-sided dice numbered from 0 to 9. One die designated before your roll gives the 10s digit, and the other gives the 1s digit. If you roll a 7 and a 1, for example, the number rolled is 71. Two zeros represent 100. Woo! Don't let me hit the snake eyes, boy. And no, I'm not talking about the Nicolas Cage movie. Although, nothing against the Nicolas Cage movie. Shout out Nicolas Cage movies. Some 10-sided dice are numbered in 10s. Double zero, 10, 20, and so on. Making it easier to distinguish the 10 digits from the la... Making it easier to distinguish the 10s digit from the 1s digit. In this case, a roll of 70 and 1 is 71. And double zero and zero is 100. When you need to roll dice, the rules tell you how many dice to roll of a certain type, as well as what modifiers to add. For example, 3d8 plus 5 means you roll three eight-sided dice, add them together, and add five to the total. Fuck, see, that's what I wanted to know. Thank you. Thank you, D&D. Thank you, Wade and Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. Particularly for printing this out and everything, but thank you, Wade, too, for also being there. Thank you both of y'all. The same D notion appears in the expressions 1D3 and 1D2. To simulate the roll of 1D3, roll a D6 and divide the number rolled by 2. Round up. To simulate the roll of 1D2, roll any die and assign a 1 or 2 to the roll depending on whether it was odd or even. Alternatively, alternatively if the number rolled is more than half of the number of sides on the die, it's a 2. So, to simplify that, because for me it made a little bit of like, what? If you come across an expression of a 1d3, what you do is you roll a d6 die, and you divide that number rolled by 2. So if you roll a 5, you divide it by 2, you get 2.5, you roll by 3, 1.5, divide by 4. 
If you roll a 4, you divide by 2, you get 2. And to simulate the roll of a 1d2, you roll any die, and if it's an odd number, you add 1 to it. If it's an even number, you add 2 to it. The D20. Does an adventurous sword swing hurt a dragon, or just bounce off its iron heart scales? Will the ogre believe an outrageous bluff? Can a character swim across a raging river? Can a character avoid the main blast of a fireball, or does he or she take full damage from the blaze? All inclusive, I like that shit, Dungeons and Dragons, everybody. Or they, whatever, you know, whatever you prefer. In cases where the outcome of an action is uncertain, the Dungeons and Dragons game relies on a rolls of a 20-sided die, a d20 to determine success or failure. Every character and monster in the game has capabilities defined by six ability scores. The abilities are strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. And they typically range from 3 to 18 for most adventurers. Yo, let me get that. <laughs> most might have a score as low as 1 or as high as 30. These ability scores and the ability modifiers derived from them are the basis for almost every d20 roll that a player makes on a character or monsters we have. Ability checks, attack rolls, and saving throws are the three main kinds of d20 rolls. Forming the core of the rules of the game, all three follow these simple rules. One, roll the die and add a modifier. Roll a d20 and add the relevant modifier. This is typically the modifier derived from one of the six ability scores, and it sometimes includes a proficiency bonus to reflect a character's particular skill. See chapter 1 for details on each ability and how to determine an ability's modifier. 2. Apply circumstantial bonuses and penalties. A class feature, a spell, a particular circumstance, or some other effect might give a bonus or penalty to the check. 3. Compare the total of a target number. If the total equals or exceeds the target number, the ability check, attack roll, or saving throw is a success. Otherwise, it is a failure. The DM is usually the one who determines target numbers and tells players whether the ability checks, attack rolls, and saving throws succeed or fail. The target number for an ability check or a saving throw is called a difficulty class, DC. The target number for an attack roll is called the armor class, AC. This simple rule governs the resolution of most tasks in D&D play. Chapter 7 provides more detailed rules for using the D20 in the game. So we gonna get to the D die, all right? But for now, this is what we got. Advantage and disadvantage. Sometimes an ability check, attack roll, or saving throw is modified by special situations called advantage and disadvantage. Advantage reflects the positive circumstances surrounding a D20 roll, while disadvantage reflects the opposite. When you have either advantage or disadvantage, you roll a second D20 when you make the roll. Use the higher of the two rolls if you have advantage, and use the lower roll if you have disadvantage. For example, if you have disadvantage and roll 17 and a 5, you use the 5. If you instead have advantage and roll those numbers, you use the 17. More detailed rules for advantage and disadvantage are presented in Chapter 7. Specific Beats General This book contains rules, especially in Parts 2 and 3, that govern how the game plays. That said, Many racial traits, class features, spells, magic items, monster abilities, and other game elements break the general rules in some way, creating an exception of how the rest of the game works. Remember this, 
If a specific rule contradicts a general rule, the specific rule wins. So, if the rule is like, you can't really walk on water, like just general rules, but you're like, uh, I could use magic so I can walk on water, you can walk on water. Water. Exceptions to the rules are often minor. For instance, many adventurers don't have proficiency with longbows, but every wood elf does because of a racial trait. That trait creates a minor exception in the game. Other examples of rule breaking are more conspicuous. For instance, an adventurer can't normally pass through walls, but some spells make that possible. Magic accounts for most of the major exceptions to the rules. Like I said, walk a motherfucking yeah. round down. There's one more general rule you need to know at the outset. Whenever you divide a number in the game, round down if you end up with a fraction, even if the fraction is one half or greater. Adventures. The Dungeons and Dragons game consists of a group of characters embarking on an adventure that the dungeon master presents to them. Each character brings particular capabilities to the adventure in the form of abilities, scores, and skills, class features, racial traits, equipment, and magic items. Every character is different, with various strengths and weaknesses, so the best party of adventurers is one in which the characters complement each other and cover the weakness of their companions. The adventurers must cooperate to successfully complete the adventure. The adventure is the heart of the game, a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. An adventure might be created by the dungeon master or purchased off the shelf, tweaked and modified to suit the DM's needs and desires. In either case, an adventure features a fantastic setting, whether it's an underground dungeon, a crumbling castle, a stretch of wilderness, or a bustling city. It features a rich cast of characters, the adventurers created and played by the other players at the table, as well as non-playable characters, NPCs. Those characters might be patrons, allies, enemy, hirelings, or just background extras in an adventure. Often, one of the NPCs is a villain, whose agenda drives much of an adventure's action. Over the course of their adventure, the characters are confronted by a variety of creatures, objects, and situations that they must deal with in some way. Sometimes the adventurers and other creatures do their best to kill or capture each other in combat. At other times, the adventurers talk to another creature or even a magical object with a goal in mind, and often the adventurers spend time trying to solve a puzzle, bypass an obstacle, find something hidden, or unravel the current situation. Meanwhile, the adventurers explore the world, making decisions about which way to travel and what they'll try to do next. Adventures vary in length and complexity. A short adventure might present only a few challenges, and it might take no more than a single game session to complete. A long adventure can involve hundreds of combats interactions and other challenges and take dozens of sessions to play through stretching over weeks or months of real time. Usually the end of an adventure is marked by the adventurers heading back to civilization to rest and enjoy the spoils of their labor. But that's not the end of the story. You can think of an adventure as a single episode of a TV series made up of multiple exciting scenes. A campaign is the whole series. A string of adventures joined together with a consistent group of adventurers following the narrative from start to finish. The three pillars of adventure. Adventurers try to do anything their players can imagine, but it can be helpful to talk about their activities in three broad categories. Exploration, social interaction, and combat. Exploration includes both the adventurer's movement, 
through the world and their interaction with objects and situations that require their attention. Exploration is the give and take of the players describing what they want their characters to do and the dungeon master telling the players what happens as a result. On a larger scale, they might involve the characters spending a day crossing a role plane or an hour making their way through caverns underground. On the smallest scale, it could mean one character pulling a lever in a dungeon room to see what happens. Social interaction features the adventurers talking to someone or something else. It might mean demanding that a captured scout reveal the secret entrance to the goblin lair, getting information from a rescued prisoner, pleading for mercy from an orc chef-tain, or persuading a talkative magic mirror to show a distant location to the event. You better show that motherfucking location. I'll punch you, mirror. The rules in chapter 7 and 8 support exploration and social interaction, as do many class features in chapter 3 and personality traits in chapter 4. We'll get there. Combat. The focus of chapter 9 involves characters and other creatures swinging weapons, casting spells, maneuvering for a position, and so on, all in the effort to defeat their opponents, whether that means killing every enemy, taking captives, or forcing a route. Route, route, whatever. R-O-U-T. Route. Combat is the most structured element of a D&D session, with creatures taking turns to make sure that everyone gets a chance to act. Even in the context of a pitched battle, there's still plenty of opportunity for adventurers to attempt wacky stunts like surfing down a flight of stairs on a shield, to examine the environment, perhaps by pulling mysterious lever, and to interact with other creatures including allies, enemies, and neutral parties. Few D&D adventures end without something magical happening. Whether helpful or harmful, magic appears frequently in the life of an adventurer and it is the focus of chapters 10 and 11. In the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons, practitioners of magic are rare, set apart from the masses of people by their extraordinary talent. Common folk might see evidence of magic on a regular basis, but it's usually minor. A fantastic monster, a visibly answered prayer, a wizard walking through the streets with an animated shield guardian as a bodyguard. For adventurers though, magic is key to their survival. For adventurers though, magic is key to their survival. Without the healing magic of clerics and paladins, adventurers would quickly succumb to their wounds. Without the uplifting magical support of bards and clerics, warriors might be overrun by powerful foes. Without the sheer magical power and versatility of wizards and druids, every threat would be magnified tenfold. Magic is also a favorite tool of villains. Many adventurers are driven by the machinations of spellcasters who are hell-bent on using magic for some ill end. A cult leader seeks to awaken a god who slumbers beneath the sea. A hag kidnaps youths to magically drain them of their vigor. A mad wizard labors to invest an army of automatons with a facsimile of life. A dragon begins a mystical ritual to rise up as a god of destruction. These are just a few of the magical threats that adventurers might face. With magic of their own, in the form of spells and magic items, the adventurers might prevail. Next, we will be getting into character creation. Until next time, thank you for listening. The game uses dice with different numbers. The game uses polyhedral, 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 however it's said, it uses dice. A mad wizard labors to invest an army of automatons with a phasma, with a fac, fac, of life. What are these words? Or am I stupid?